And as you're being seated, I invite you to open your Bibles up to John chapter 14, the Gospel of John chapter 14. Um, so as people talk about music and ideas behind music, they, uh, there's like lots of debate about what the most important part of music is. And so sometimes people will talk about the notes, like the notes are really important and you have to get the notes exactly right. And if you uh, kind of the notes and the arrangement of the notes, they're, they're, they're what creates the beauty. And so some other people will come along and say, well, what really matters is the dynamics. So like how loud the music is or how soft the music is, how much contrast you can create between those things. And uh, I'm here to tell you that all of those people who said any of those things are wrong because there is clearly one most important part to music, and it is the rhythm. The rhythm is actually the most important part of music. The rhythm is what makes the music discernible. So like if I were to uh, clap a rhythm for you, so like, does anybody know what I just clapped? Oh my goodness, you guys are so good. I didn't have to put notes in there. I didn't have to do like anything to, for you to know what that was other than simply clap the rhythm and it's so discernible. Now, if I were to play the series of notes in Jingle Bells and some sort of indiscernible rhythm, uh, and, and if I were to play that for you, you would not recognize it. It would not make sense to you. The, the, the rhythm is what makes the song recognizable. So, uh, so most professionals uh, agree along these lines. Like you recognize the rhythm and the pattern. Now this is especially true like when you're playing sheet music because what has happened is that the, the composer of the music, so like what we do up here on Sunday morning, we don't necessarily read sheet music. We're kind of looking at chords and uh, making it up based on the chords that we see. But if you have a piece of sheet music placed in front of you, what has happened is that the, com the composer of that song has basically written computer code for you to spit back out to the people that you like it is written down exactly the the kind of way that you are to play the music uh, the way that you are to spend your time in the music like this is not like uh, dads or uh, those husbands among us who kind of are given assembly instructions for the faucet but then we don't use the assembly instructions and then inevitably an hour later at least if you're me you get frustrated and then you have to take a trip to Home Depot because you didn't read the assembly instructions to get the pieces that you need ahead of time and then you are frustrated yet again because you put one piece on before you shouldn't have put the other piece on and if you just would have read the instructions you would have understood that this is how it was supposed to work, right? So sheet music is not like that. Sheet music, whoever sits down in front of a piece of sheet music, you know exactly what it is that you are supposed to play, exactly how you are supposed to divide time. So when the composer like, sits down and does this, like, they, they have a, like, a limited set of time that they give you, and in that limited set of time, they tell you exactly how to use each piece of time. So like every rhythm marking tells you how the time gets divided. Right? And so that's, that's how rhythm helps us. So uh, instead, what, like, yeah, what happens? This rhythm kind of dictates how we should use the time. And it's in executing the rhythm that the song becomes recognizable. So, so rhythm does two really clear things for music. Rhythm shapes the character of the song. 
right? Like, uh, so, so this is why sometimes when you play a certain melody, you can set that melody to different rhythms. And if you do that, the character of the song changes. The idea, like sometimes you can put a dance rhythm behind a song and people will go, oh, clearly, like this is a dance rhythm. And you can take the same song and you can put a march rhythm behind it and completely change the character of the song. Right, so rhythm shapes the character of the song, but rhythm also determines what makes the song recognizable. So, so just like rhythm shapes the character of a song and makes a song recognizable, I want to tell you that the rhythms of our life shape our character and make us recognizable. Like the patterns that we engage in, the rhythms that we engage in, shape our life and make us recognizable. So I want to give you a definition for rhythms. Rhythms are this. Rhythms are the consistent patterns at work in our use of time. The consistent patterns at work in our use of time, right? This is, this is the composer kind of writing things out for us on the sheet music, right? The, the, the composer kind of puts it all out there and says, these are the consistent patterns that you're supposed to use in the allotted time that you are given. So rhythms are the consistent patterns in the use of our time. So I want to tell you something. Our rhythms that we engage will determine the quality of our character. The, the patterns that we walk through in our lives, the consistency that we engage will determine the quality of our character. So imagine you have a morning rhythm of telling a family member of yours um, how much you love them and then one specific thing that you appreciate about them. Imagine every morning you wake up and you find a family member of yours and you uh, tell them that you love them and you tell them one specific thing that you appreciate about them. That rhythm will shape your character. It will determine the kind of person that you become. It will determine kind of the role that you even play in that relationship that you have. I want you to imagine now that you uh, have a weekly rhythm of taking a gift or doing a kind gesture for one neighbor. Like uh, any neighbor, really, but that once a week you pick a different neighbor, you do a kind gesture, or you take a gift to that neighbor. If that is your rhythm, that rhythm accomplishes something on its own, right? And that it kind of gives a gift or it, it gives tangible care to the neighbor. But the other thing that it does is it shapes you to love your neighbors more. Like the more you engage that pattern, the more loving you become to your neighbors. So there's a reality. Uh, it's not just good rhythms that have the power to shape us. There are other rhythms that have the power to shape us. So, like, I imagine, uh, imagine every morning that you, on your drive to work, listen to the same morning talk radio host who happens to share his or her opinion in a way that makes people who disagree with them look stupid. Right? Imagine that that's what you listen to every morning. You listen to the same talk radio host, and every time they talk about people who disagree with them or have a different perspective, it makes them look stupid. Right? And so you happen to agree with this talk radio host about the things, and, uh, and so that rhythm might actually shape how you interact with people who disagree with you, or at the very least, how you think about people who disagree with you. Right? So uh, imagine every time a coworker disappoints you, that you vent your disappointment to another coworker, right? Imagine that that is kind of the pattern that you engage in. Well, that rhythm, if you do it enough times, will set you in a pattern of judging your neighbor and creating character shaped 
around gossip. This is my mic, right, that's doing this? Let's see if we can change it up here. We'll see if that helps. Uh, so, so yeah, if you are venting to your neighbor, that's going to shape you and form you in kind of a pattern of gossip. It'll create a character that is shaped around gossip. So for what it's worth, like, I'm not just making these things up. Like, in fact, the Bible has been teaching these things for, like, thousands of years, right? But on top of that, what they're finding increasingly as they get into neuroscience and brain science is that the things that we are telling you, that the Bible has been saying for thousands of years, are actually true. That the patterns you engage in actually shape who you are as a person. So that the more you engage in particular patterns, you wire pathways inside your brain and teach your brain how to respond in the future. So that if you do a particular pattern enough times, you actually like kind of train your brain to get a reward from that thing that you are doing, right? It sends a little dopamine signal, and that goes for both, right? So if you are, if you are kind of in the camp of doing something maybe that's not so good and feeling justified by your talk radio host, right? That's sending a dopamine signal to your body and telling your body that, hey, this is a really good thing that you are doing. You should do this more. Right, And if you wake up every morning and tell your loved one that you love them and, and something you appreciate about them, and you do that enough times, that wires a pathway into your brain where eventually your brain starts to get a dopamine signal every time you do that, and then, uh, and then you want to do that thing more. Right? So rhythms have this incredible power to shape us. Now, the, the, the awareness of that is important for several reasons. Number one, we have a limited amount of time. Like none of us can actually create more time in our schedule, although it is the thing that we like are seeking to do more and more. Like we want to fit so many things into our schedule, but we have a limited amount of time and time is our most precious resource. And then the reality right now is that you have more things competing for your time than ever have been competing for your time before. So that's number two. And then finally, number three, if you are not intentional, with how you use your time, somebody else will be intentional with how you use your time, right? Like if you don't decide the rhythms that you are going to engage, somebody else is going to decide those rhythms for you. So with all of that being said, we are starting a series called Rhythms of Renewal. Rhythms of Renewal. These are rhythms that shape and form us into the people that God desires us to be. We're going to talk about the rhythms that we uh, kind of see Jesus engage, how he teaches us to engage like in common patterns, whether they be daily patterns or weekly patterns or monthly patterns, but they're rhythms that we walk in and they remind us of who we are and where our identity is and they help us become the people that God desires us to be. So let's kind of take a moment to talk about the season that we find ourselves in as a church. We as a church have kind of come to this place where we are saying, you know, we long to be something more. We long to become something different. And uh, kind of a few months ago, we talked about concepts of spiritual revival and renewal inside of us, right? And and then we uh, kind of have been spending a season discerning and seeing God bring some things together and clarifying some things for us. And actually, like we as an elder team, a few months ago, we kind of laid out in front of the congregation, you all some clear next steps that we believe God is calling us to take. 
So uh, we talked about how, well, one of the things we need to do, we need to orient all of our energy into understanding and practicing personal evangelism, right? And that's going to start with us as uh, leaders, kind of holding each other accountable to that, but then it's going to move out from that where we would train uh, you all, train the church how to better engage in the process of personal evangelism. Right, that's one thing. The uh, second thing that we're going to do is we were going to restart Crossroads. Hooray, we've done that, and we are walking down the path, right? Third thing we were going to do is we were going to walk through this values discovery process. So if you remember at the end of September, several of us gathered in this room. We kind of uh, hashed out what we think is really important and identifies this church, and lo and behold, we all kind of agreed on it, which was crazy. Uh, so uh, number four, uh, build a team. So right now, uh, Garth Alexander one of our elders, and is in the process of building a team to evaluate the experience of an outsider as they walk into our church. Somebody who's not currently a part of the church comes in, what, how are they welcomed, what do they see, do they need signs, that kind of stuff. Uh, so, so that was another thing we're going to do. We put together, we have put together an elder care plan for the congregation, and I can tell you so that now we're held accountable to it. Uh, we have assigned those who are in our church, uh, elders to those people, to call you and ask you how you're doing and follow up with you and check in with you and say, how can we pray for you, right? And so you should be getting a call from uh, one of us within the next month. If you've been, if you call this church home, uh, you should be getting a call from one of us and just uh, to follow up with you and see how you're doing. And then finally, we're working with some district leadership to figure out some clear next steps. So, so, okay, so those are all the next steps. And I, I don't need you to remember that or write any of it down. What you might recognize, though, is that some of those are still kind of discovery, processes. Like in and of themselves, they're still meant to discover something, right? And so, so that means that over the course of the next three to six months, we're actually going to even have more crystallized next steps, a vision of the future that will become more clear. So what I've articulated to you, all of these next steps, these organizational things that we are doing as a church, that's like one half of the story. But there's another half of the story that I think like from a really practical standpoint, we tend to neglect. And, and the other half of the story is um, what I would call expectancy. So, so James Chung, uh, he has, uh, he's this kind of expert. He works with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, and so he, he's kind of done a lot of research on spiritual revivals and renewals of history. And uh, I, I saw some data from him and some, some information that he was kind of helping to understand. He was trying to bring about like what takes place when spiritual renewal and revival happens. And for what it's worth, sometimes spiritual renewal is widespread, can become like countrywide. Sometimes spiritual renewal happens in small pockets, in uh, towns and villages and whole uh, regions, right? But then uh, he kind of he frames spiritual renewal or revival with two words. And uh, this is going to move me over here to our whiteboard this morning. He uses two words. One of those words that he uses is relevancy. Relevancy. So I'm going to kind of make a, uh, a pattern here for us to see. We're going to have like four squares on the board here. So we have one line that goes up and down like this. And one line that goes side to side like this. 
And so uh, he discussed the reality that uh, in spiritual renewal, something happens where uh, congregations and churches and communities experience what is called high relevancy. What that means, explain this just a second. So, so relevancy is uh, the things that we've been working on. What does it look like to relate to our community? How, how do we understand how the gospel itself kind of meets us in our context and shapes and forms us in that context? This is like, what kind, of, what kind of worship style should we have? What aesthetic should we have? What language should we use to communicate with people? Uh, how should we use social media? How are we going to use video and lighting and sound to kind of uh, create something or create a series of things that can help us meet people where they are with the word of God, right? We're going to better seek to understand our culture. So that's relevancy. So you can have high relevancy and low relevancy. High relevancy and low relevancy. The other option is you could have what, uh, what I'm calling expectancy. So high expectancy. Let me explain what that is. Expectancy is dependence on the power of God. It's dependence on the power of God. So this is uh, people who are a part of these spiritual renewal places experience and employ new rhythms in their life. They, uh, this is kind of for what it's worth, this is not fitting God in where you can. And making him work to whatever your schedule is and make him. But this is reorienting life around what it is that God is trying to accomplish. This is not shallow engagement. This is deep rhythms with God. Believing that as we go deeper with God, it is God's power that will actually create breakthrough. Right? This is marked significantly, high expectancy is marked significantly by repentance. Marked significantly by spiritual power. Marked significantly by sensitivity. So you have high expectancy and you have low expectancy. Okay. So then each of these squares creates a different scenario. The first scenario, low relevancy and low expectancy creates a social space. A social space. So we, uh, which it's not a bad thing to be a social space. You have people who love each other, who agree on common things, right? Uh, you kind of are in this space. But, but everybody who's seeking renewal is seeking to break out of the social space. So, uh, so then in high expectancy but low relevancy, you have what is called an experiential space. So when we experience things, the kind of thing to say, like, oh, like you have these vast kind of deep uh, prayer times and uh, you uh, are going really deep in your walk with Jesus and everybody really like loves what is happening, but you haven't really figured out how to take what is happening and connect it to other people, right? So, so that's there. And then up here, you have something very pragmatic, Very practical, right? 
Uh, so when you go for high relevancy but low expectancy, this is where you get the lights and the fog machines and the cool experiences and the things that really connect with people in a tangible way. And then uh, you have kind of the connection here, which is the, the holistic experience. So this is high, expect, high expectancy, high relevancy. So this whole like, process that we're doing as a church We've aimed a lot of organizational energy in this space. How do we communicate and convey ourselves to our community? How do we, uh, how are we understood? What kind of language do we use when we talk to people about the gospel and about the good news of Jesus? How do we relate to our neighbors? We've kind of invested a lot of energy in that space. So James Chung, he, he, I was at a conference this week, he stands up to us and he says, this has been the pattern that the church in America has been engaging for like at least the last 30 years. We have been figuring out how to make something where we can impress and connect with people. And what is happening to the spiritual temperature in our country? It's going down. And it keeps going down. And it keeps going down. Now, impressing, connecting with people and doing things that connect with people is really, really important. Don't miss that. I don't want to neglect that. But what he suggested is that we are actually in a season in the church in America where the solution for us might be something different. It might not start with becoming more pragmatic because we've kind of tested that and tried it and tried it and tried it again. It might actually be that the people in this world are so tired of people who are just working so hard to impress them and connect with them and they want to see something real. They want to see people who are going deep with Jesus. Imagine like if, if Jesus equipped you to walk into your spaces and your places and you knew as you walked into that space that Jesus was walking with you. That in fact Jesus was communicating himself to your peers and your co-workers through you and you knew it without a doubt. Right? You were expectant of it. What does it take for you to become that person? Because we will do work here but if we don't do the work here, we are not going to become the kind of people that might be compelled by the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so he's, he's like, you know, we've been going this path, but I think the pathway to get where we need to go, it actually it needs to go this way. We need to go this way. We need to go deeper with God. We need to become the kind of people that God desires us to be. And we need to quit taking, we need to quit taking the slow and the easy path. We need to quit making it convenient, as convenient as we possibly can. Okay. So if rhythms shape our character, and the aim of our character is Jesus, then what rhythms are going to shape me to pursue the will of the Father like Jesus does above everything else? What rhythms are going to shape me to discern the needs in my spheres of influence and to see them like Jesus is able to see them? What rhythms are going to shape me to pray for people in powerful ways that, lo and behold, like, might actually change circumstances? What rhythms are going to shape me to authentically and passionately love people and love God? Here's the crazy thing that I believe. And this, like, I wouldn't preach if I didn't believe this. I believe God 
can create in the people in this church a people who look like Jesus. I believe it. In the core of my being, I believe the Holy Spirit can do something inside of us and shape us and form us to be some of the most powerful people who when we walk into our spheres of influence, there is something compelling. Not just, oh, those were nice people, but there is something otherworldly about us. And people right now are so tired of the world that they are looking for something otherworldly. So this morning, in everything we do, I want to call us to a rhythm of expectancy. This is the first rhythm in our rhythm series. So I've kind of set up what we're trying to do, right? We need to cultivate rhythms that are going to make us a people like Jesus. So if that is true, I want to call us in this first sermon in this series to a rhythm of expectancy. So John 14, 12, I went a long time without reading any scripture, and I am so sorry for that, but we are going to get into it right now. John 14, 12, this is what it says. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So Jesus is in the middle of a dress to his disciples. He's talking to them. This is in the, uh, the night before his crucifixion. He is in the upper room, and they are uh, kind of discussing what is happening. And so the disciples don't actually know the fullness of what's going to happen to Jesus. They don't know that he's going to die, that he's going to be crucified. But there is a sense of finality in this meeting. Like Jesus is talking a lot about, hey, I'm going away for a period of time. And, uh, and so, so Philip, hearing all this and understanding what was happening and feeling this finality, Philip says to Jesus, show me the Father. Show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, have you been with me so long that you didn't know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Right? And then he says this weird thing where at the very least... You've seen my works, and you have to know that my works are from the Father, so you would have to believe in that and know that I am showing you the Father. So he doesn't stop there, but he goes on in verse 12, and he actually says, Philip, hey, here's my intention. My intention is actually not only that I would show you the Father through my works, but that you would show people the Father through your works. Right? He, that's, he's saying, my intention is that you would, uh, I'm going to go away and that you would actually become the kind of person who would do the works that I'm doing. But not only that, the works that you will do will be more powerful because you believe in me. In fact, the works that you do will be greater than what I've done. What is Jesus doing? He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to have this sense of finality to what is happening here. And so uh, Jesus was like the source of power of this movement that is taking place in Jerusalem and Judea, the, the surrounding area, right? He's the Messiah. He's the important one, right? And he is going to go away. Like, What are you going to do if Jesus is going to go away? Right? So he's saying, I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go be with my father. And, and the disciples, as they process this, they would have been instantly deflated because they've spent all of this like three years' worth of energy into cultivating this movement that now is going to die when their Messiah leaves. 
And what Jesus is doing in them as he talks about the realities that are about to come is he's cultivating expectancy inside of them. He's saying, as I go away, something is going to happen inside of you and uh, through you that you will actually start to see God work in even mightier ways than you saw before. So Jesus is striving to kind of kill that deflated response. And he says, you know what? You're going to see greater things. So let's talk about expectancy for a moment. This is what expectancy is, and this is what I mean by it, and this is what kind of Jesus is even framing. Expectancy is a moment-by-moment awareness of and dependence upon the Holy Spirit's presence and power. A moment-by-moment awareness of and dependence upon the Holy Spirit's presence and power. Y'all, I know that we believe in Jesus in here. Like, I don't question that reality. But you know, like, I've also lived in like the Christian culture that pervades where we live, pervades the United States for a long time, and I've seen it be satisfied with so little. Right? I'm not, I'm not here to berate you for being satisfied for so little, for what it's worth. Like, I'm actually here to remind us that Jesus told us to expect so much more. John 14, 13 and 14, he goes on. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. For what it's worth, this is not, hey, Jesus, help me win the lottery. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. He's not interested in answering that. That's not what he means when he says, pray in my name and whatever you ask in my name. He's saying, as you align with the heart of the Father, as you align with who I am and who he has called me to be in his will as it has been revealed in me, and as you ask things in alignment with that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start delivering. Power is going to start working as you pray. So if you really want to see me move, if you're ready to start stepping out in faith, if you're grounded in the work that I've done for you, if you're engaged in the Father's will, if you want to see the power of the kingdom of God break into this broken world, then start asking me to do it. Start seeking the kinds of things that you have already seen me do. So, just a special note, like this is, we are going to in this series talk about spiritual practices and disciplines, rhythms for us to implement into our lives. And, and those are rhythms. And uh, you might notice as we go through the series, I'm actually not going to preach one sermon on prayer. Now, there are two reasons for that. One of the reasons is uh, I preached a sermon on prayer about two weeks ago. And, uh, and so you could go back and listen to that. And, uh, but that's not actually the main reason. The main reason is, That as you talk about these spiritual disciplines and practices, prayer is the mechanism by which all of them are employed. Even your study of the word of God is not a task. The living God is coming to meet with you in that place and shape and form your heart and mind as to who he is and what he wants to do in your spheres of influence. Prayer is the means by which all of the rhythms are employed. So prayer is not going to be one of these rhythms. And in fact, as we talk about expectancy, 
we're really talking about engaging the belief that the creator of the universe, the creator of all things, the king, the authority over every power and authority that exists is constantly with you and wants to actively work through you in every moment of every day. Which means that as we talk about rhythms, these rhythms are going to work in two key ways. They are going to help us maintain constant communication with the Father. And everything we do as we walk through our day, as we walk through our moments, as we even interact the hardest of our moments in our day, uh, we have the opportunity to interact with our Father who is not standing over us condemningly or waiting for us to mess up, but who is welcoming us. Moment by moment to interact with our Father. But then number two, to expect to meet the Father in all of our rhythms, in every single rhythm. So this is different than moment by moment. It means that as we kind of do the task, because that's kind of how we typically think about our spiritual rhythms, we go about the task and we set our minds to do it and we set the alarm on our phone and we check the box off and we said that we did it. Like actually, as we cultivate expectancy, it means every one of those rhythms becomes like a really significant place for God to meet us and engage us in that space and do something powerful. So prayer is involved in all of the rhythms, and for what it's worth, all of the rhythms engage you in a deeper life of prayer. This series is not an achievement list for you to check off and go, I did it, I'm the super Christian, right? Like if that's what you take away from this, then you've got the wrong idea about it. It's to shape you into the kind of person that Jesus wants you to be. So um, there are some realities that exist that I think are not like out of the question for the majority of Christians, but like, let's even say in this church, you know what I think? I think there is a strong potential that there is like a massive load of untapped gifts of evangelism here in this church. In fact, I've thought this about the church at large for a long time. Like if there are just like tons of evangelists sitting uh, there, but because we've not really gone deep with the Lord and because we've really not sought after him as hard as we can, if we just miss those gifts of evangelism. Right, so, so maybe as you go deeper with him, he's going to actually tap and bring to the surface gifts you didn't even know you had. I believe he could give us like words of knowledge, right? which is crazy, and you might think I'm a little kooky here. I am a uh, uh, charismatic Baptist kind of background. I have a combination of a lot of things here. But um, like, I believe that as you go deep with Jesus, and as you begin praying for your neighbors, you know what's possible? Like Jesus might give you insight or understanding, not from something you're observed or something you're trying to judge about your neighbor, but insight or understanding about your neighbor or a situation that you're, they're in that he wants to use you and go speak to your neighbor about that thing. And that might actually be the thing that they need to open up to spiritual realities. I believe he can give dreams to our neighbors. As you walk around your neighborhood and pray for spiritual darkness to be released, you know what I actually believe? I believe like he might work in one of those instances to open somebody's eyes or give them an encounter because the, the way that I know that he does this is that he's doing it in other places in the world, so what's to stop him from doing it here, right? I believe like for what it's worth, there are probably 
a fair number of people in this room who have untapped gifts of communicating God's word in powerful ways, but because we've not gone deep with Jesus, we've not had the chance to discover those gifts, right? right? I believe he will use us to be the catalyst for somebody else's deliverance from darkness. I believe that he'll use us to boldly open our lives up to people who aren't like us and go to the person that we might call the stranger. I believe he would do all of that, not because I have an overactive imagination, but because he said he would do it. So John 14, 15 through 17, this is what it says. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says this is all possible. Because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. So this is why we're doing a series on rhythms. Because as a Christian culture we have played things safe for far too long. Like I'll keep this part of my life and Jesus you can have that. I'm too busy to reorient my schedule or change my pattern. But I can do these little things here. I love to do more. You know, I love to actually engage deeper, but I'm so overwhelmed with everything that I have to do. Right? Like, and remember, if you don't prioritize your schedule, if you don't determine your rhythm, something else will. And all of your rhythms shape you. So this morning, I want you to receive this encouragement. This first rhythm, expectancy, actually the only thing it requires you to do is change your perspective. Like, that's, that's the only thing that I'm asking you to do with this first rhythm is, is change your perspective from one that does tasks to one that actually expects the Father to show up in every task. From one that uh, kind of brushes by people or uh, kind of just walks the other way or doesn't engage people to one that expects the Father to meet people through you. From one who is kind of simply surviving in the midst of your life, to one who is dependent on the Father's sustaining and life and joy-giving presence. And church, I tell you, I need this just as much as you do. So what? So what? I have a spiritual practice to share with you. And maybe this is a practice that you're going you're gonna to stick it on a reminder on your phone. It's going to pop up and that you will actually start to engage your day thoughtfully. Maybe it's uh, at the end of your day. Maybe it's at multiple points throughout your day. It could be in the mid-morning, in the, uh, at noon, in the afternoon, in the evening. You, you can kind of set it up however is best for you. But this is the spiritual practice. The spiritual practice is an examine. Uh, and in this practice, this is really what you're going to do. Again, you don't have to really like change anything other than be conscious to prayerfully ask yourself three questions. The first question is this, where have I met God today? Right, because he's there. Right, like he is actively working. In fact, if you believe in him, uh, he is what Jesus says, like he's doing greater works than even Jesus was doing, right? So, so where are you meeting him? Number two, where have I missed God today? Because there's a reality inside of us that we are still broken people and we still have our eyes on our own thing and we're trying to engage a rhythm that gets our eyes more open to what God is doing. And then the third question is this, where does it seem God is at work around me right now? 
where does it seem God is at work around me right now? So if you, uh, if you have your phone, you have some kind of system of reminding yourself, uh, put it in for lunchtime and put it in for dinner time. Like maybe you can start there. And then you have a practice to be asking yourself these things and keeping your eyes open to what God is doing around you. And then finally, I want to share with you your job. Again, I stole this illustration from somebody who was at a conference. I want you to imagine that there are two chairs at this table. Your job is to bring all of you to the table. So Mindy Caliguire, she is an incredible speaker, and she was sharing about uh, what it means for us to engage more deeply with God. And so imagine two chairs sitting at this table. And the reality is at one chair, all the time, your father is sitting. He's waiting to engage with you. He's waiting to tell you about the work that he wants to do. He's waiting to empower you. He is waiting to get behind you. He's waiting to help you sink into your identity and who you are as his child, right? Your job is just to bring everything you have to the table, right? Like, in fact, you don't have to do any of the work if you just come to the table, right? If you just come to where he is, he's waiting to meet there with you and shape you and form you. You just kind of, but like typically what we do is we like fill ourselves up with activity and even like Christian activity. And uh, we kind of get ourselves like revving around and we kind of run circles around the table and our father's just like patient. And he's not like frustrated with us that we're not sitting down. He's not waiting to like put a hand on us and say, what are you doing? Like he is just waiting for you to bring all of you to the table. Say, come and meet with me. Let me shape and form you. You know, I, I've been waiting to do some really amazing things in and through you. Really amazing things. Would you just come to the table? So church, I want to encourage you with this. The rhythms that we engage will shape us into the people that our Father wants us to be. So Let's engage in practices that just start bringing us to the table with him. Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, I know that you want to form and shape us, and we are so blessed by that reality. That you don't just want to leave us as we are, but you want us to become the kind of people that you said we could become. You are actually for us becoming those things. And and so I pray for every heart and mind in this room, not that we would experience a sense of heaviness or condemnation for not performing well enough or not doing well enough or not engaging deeply enough, but we would just see the overwhelming nature of your heart that you want to do really big and amazing and impactful and powerful things that move the kingdom of God forward in our spheres of influence, that meet our neighbors in really tangible ways, that uh, work out your gifts of the Holy Spirit in our spheres of influence and in our church. Jesus, my prayer is that you would make us holy, that you would make us 
a people who stand apart, not because we maybe are nicer than other people, although I hope that we would strive to be nicer than other people, maybe not uh, because we kind of have everything together or appear uh, somehow holier than thou or have any of that. Let that not be what sets us apart, but let there be something spiritually very unique and powerful, a gravitas to our nature, our character as we walk into spaces like there was with Jesus. And let us carry the concern and the kindness and the care and love and the power of Jesus into the places that we go. That you might be glorified in all things. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.